And we saw last week that the, the Corinthian church that Paul's writing to, they were getting it wrong. And that, therefore, probably means that we are in danger of getting it wrong. And last week we began to see that to be spiritual starts with the Holy Spirit enabling us to cry out, Jesus is Lord. That's where it starts. And what we're going to see this afternoon is Paul's big image. Right? He's got one big picture, and I don't think this is very hard to understand. So I'm going to read it, and I don't think you're going to struggle. I don't think you're going to go, well, I wonder what he's saying. I think it's fairly obvious. So uh, let's, uh, let's read it. Um, it's in chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12 to 31. And uh, listen out for Paul's big point. I, I know that there may be uh, small things you're not sure about, but look out for the big thing. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. I'm interpreting slightly in my reading. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Let's ask that God to help us. This is not a human intellectual exercise we're engaged in this afternoon. We want to hear God speak to us from his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the very same Spirit who inspired these words, is the same Spirit who today brings light and illumination. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us. Please help us to understand for the glory of Jesus. Amen. 
Okay, did you spot Paul's um, big point? Let me... Uh, here it is. One body, many pots. Okay, that's, that's basically what he says several times. He says it in verse 12. A body, though one, has many parts. He says it in verse 14. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. He says it in verse 20. There are many parts, but one body. And he says it in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Right, four times, very simple, one body, many parts. Bang. That's what he wants the church in Corinth to know. And we may sit here this afternoon and we may go, okay, that sounds fine, nice. I'm not particularly blown away by that as a truth. I'm, that's not that big a deal. Oh man, it's a big deal. <laughs> in the timeline of the Bible, in the story timeline of the Bible, what Paul says here is a huge deal. And we must not miss this and see this as mundane. Let me show you what I mean, okay? We're coming back to this. Let me just show you where this fits in the timeline of the Bible. If you go right, right back to the very beginning, when humanity was first created and rebelled against God, at the heart of our rebellion against God was autonomy, a declaration of autonomy. I don't need anyone else. I'm an individual. I am me. And I have the right to do what I want. A declaration of the individual. But that was never God's intention. God's intention comes before that in chapter 2 of Genesis where God makes the first church, the first prototype church. It only had two members, but it was 100% of human population at the time. So let's give them a break. The man and the woman, Adam and Eve, the first man and the woman, are, are like a prototype of God's people, the church. And in fact, the language is even very strong of them being one. Not two separate individuals living in their little castles who happen to be friends with one another, but they become one body. That was always God's intention for humanity. It was always God's intention because that reflects the very nature of God himself. What is God like? God is one God, but many parts. Well, three. One God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when God makes humanity, what does he make? He makes one, but many. It's always the way he works. You see that in the first marriage, but that first marriage is like a prototype first church. One, but many. Humanity not living in splendid isolation, each with their castle and drawing up their drawbridge, building their fences high and saying, don't sit on my lawn. But humanity without walls, humanity without fences, humanity without castles, humanity united together as one. One people. Living in mutual dependence on one another, needing one another, helping one another. I've got to say, this is a glorious vision for humanity, isn't it? Not divided, but united. Not uniform, but gloriously diverse. But the trouble is that ever since humanity made the decision to declare independence, ever since we decided that autonomy was a better way to fly, things have been very different. Rather than life being a project of mutual flourishing, it has become a competition of self-flourishing. And now, society functions more like a ladder than a body, where we all want to climb to the top, we all want to push ourselves. We all want to express ourselves. We all want to make sure that we are fulfilled ourselves. We all want to be about ourselves. 
And let me just try something for you, with you. I, I think this is interesting. I've been reflecting on this. Individualism, and we live in a culture of rampant individualism, where individualism is, individualism is not just the way we do it. It is celebrated. The individual is celebrated. I think individualism produces clones. Produces people who are not diverse, but the same. Let me show you what I mean. You see, if society decides that this is the ideal person, and everybody wants, therefore, to be that, then we all pursue the same goal. We all dream the same dream. We all want the same thing. That's, a, that's an 80s pop song, by the way, to those who missed the reference to a Whitney, a Whitney Houston, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we dream the same dream. It's quite a rocky thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> not that rocky. <laughs> but if we all dream the same dream and want the same thing, and if we all value the same thing, and if we all want to look the same, and if we look at the magazine and we say, this is what I'm supposed to look like. I'm supposed to have this body, this shape, this job, this career, this happiness, this success. If this is what it looks like to make it, then we're all trying to get there, and you end up all being the same. And that is what individualism looks like because we've all got to achieve that. And I can't cope if someone over there is achieving that better than I am. And so rather than loving others, I'll use others in order to help me to achieve my dream. If my dream is of a happy, kind of the the, the picture of a happy marriage with happy kids, then I'll get a wife. And I'll use my wife in order to try and achieve this dream that I'm going for. And when I find it doesn't produce the happiness I want, then I'll find another one. Because individualism drives us actually to being clones. Because we all want to be the same. It's as if it funnels people to a sharp point. And there are the people who've made it. Now that changes in different cultures. I read some research uh, a little while ago that said, if you'd asked kids growing up 50 years ago, what they would most like to be, or what they, they had a range of jobs and they valued the jobs most highly. The most highly valued jobs were things like doctors, well done doctors, and uh, uh, those kind of professional careers, doctors, teachers, that sort of stuff. Kids there, if you ask them, would you rather be a doctor or a PA to a celebrity? They'd rather be a PA to a celebrity. Because now our culture has sold us this dream that this is what it means to be successful and this is what it means to achieve. And so here we have this thing that drives us towards, I think, being clones. I found um, there's a photographer in Japan who has done a whole load of work um, on this theme of clones. And all his pictures are like this. They're just one person in lots of different... His pictures are all... uh, set in different places, but one person. Um, I think that is what our world is driving towards. And that means we have a lot of disregard for people who aren't like us. We can't cope with people who aren't like us. We try to get rid of them and we gather people around us who are like us and who share our values. And when you read the book of Corinthians, that is what's happening in Corinth. The church in Corinth is becoming like this. It's a funnel where there is one goal. There's an elite that you're supposed to try and achieve and you're supposed to be like that. And there are the super spiritual ones and everyone else is trying to get there. It's individualism and they're all trying to reach the same 
goal. Spirituality is something to strive for. It's something to achieve. And then you could become one of the special ones with the special gifts like speaking in tongues. And if you can speak in tongues, that's it. (laughs) That's it. And along comes Paul and he says, you foolish, foolish church. And that's why the emphasis of this section is not on the unity of the body. His emphasis is on the diversity of the body. He says, you're one, but many. You've forgotten the manyness of the church because you all want to be the same. You all want to be a clone of one another. And Jesus did not die to produce clones. Jesus died to produce a body. Jesus gave his life on a cross in order to produce a church, a body which is so massively diverse that it's beyond anything that you could ever dream. Jesus died on a cross for all sorts of people, from all sorts of cultures, from all sorts of social backgrounds. He died on a cross to build a body, one body made of many parts. That's why the church is so utterly unique. So have a look down with me at the, these verses and let's, let's see this. Just as a body, though one, this is verse 12, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. See, so it, here it is. That's strange, right? Because we think that verse should read, uh, many parts form one in body, so it is with the church. But Paul says, no, no, so it is with Christ. Christ, one body, many parts. Who are the many parts of Christ? It's you. It's us. It's his church. But Paul is talking about Christ. And the miracle of what happens in the church is that Christ Jesus dies on a cross and then he rises from the dead as the head of a new humanity. One new humanity made up of many parts. And each part is different. And one of the things I love about um, the Bible storyline, if you trace right the way through to the end of the story, in Revelation 7 you have the vision of all the people, all the body before the throne, and it says there were people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. They don't become clones. It's not like, and there were billions and billions of jaunties standing before, because obviously I am the perfect human. <laughs> There were billions and billions of this one thing. No. There are French people and Chinese people and English people and Scottish people and all nations speaking their, still speaking their languages because diversity is so built into what God is doing. But how does that come about? I don't think that's something you can manufacture. I can manufacture lots of things. Now, Steady with this, okay? I, I toyed with whether or not to do this, but I have now. So, just steady. I can manufacture lots of things. I can get Lego bricks and put them together and make something. I can't make a body. Except in the, you know, forget that. I can't make a body, right? I can't take stuff, put it together. <laughs> See, I warned you, right? 
I can't take stuff and put it together. I can't get an arm and another arm and a leg and put them together and make it. I can't manufacture that because I can't create that one body. Here is the Bible saying, okay, God does this. How does he do it? Well, look at the language. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. What a weird phrase. And yet this is the emphasis that Paul wants to say. This is a Holy Spirit thing that God is doing. This is something God has done. Now let me just very quickly on this. Baptism of the Spirit. It has got some big books written on baptism of the Spirit. It's really not that difficult. Baptism of the Spirit happens when you become a Christian. And what it says here is, we were all baptized by, probably better, with one spirit. Because according to the Bible, Jesus is the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. You're not baptized by the Spirit, you're baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit into his body. You are immersed in his Holy Spirit. That is how God gives you life. It's a massive phrase to describe what it means when you become a Christian. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Some people say that baptism with the Spirit is something that happens later as a Christian. No, that's not what the Bible says. That would completely undermine everything Paul is saying here. Because his point is, no, you're all baptized with the Spirit because you are all one body. So you've been baptized by one spirit, and therefore you form one body. It doesn't matter whether you're Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor. It doesn't matter what background you're from. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. The spirit of God in, into whom you've been baptized has brought you into this one body. So let's push this. We're saying some big things here, okay? We're saying some big things. If you're sitting here this afternoon, and if you are a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. I think if I said to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means... Uh, I've been forgiven, I love Jesus, uh, I've got eternal life. Okay, here's something else to add to your list. I've been baptized with the Spirit into the body. That's what it means to be a Christian. He's taken you from this place of death and he's pulled you out of there and he's baptized you into the Spirit. Given you life, brought you into his body. Only he can do that. Or if you want another language... If you like, baptism's about... Yeah, okay. If you want another, another language, then look, he uses a different way of saying it. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Uh, keep your fingers in 1 Corinthians um, 12. Just come to John 7 with me a second. John 7, page 1072. Okay, 1072, John 7. John 7, verse 37, look at this. Jesus says, on the, la- sorry, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So when you became a Christian... Jesus gave you the Spirit to drink. 
I am thirsty because of my rebellion, my autonomy, my individualism makes me thirsty, desperately trying to prove myself. Come on, you've felt that, haven't you? Desperately trying to prove, trying to climb the ladder, trying to establish myself, self, self. I'm thirsty. Jesus says, oh, you're thirsty. Come to me, I'll give, I'll give you a drink. And so we leave our sin of rebellion against God and autonomy and we turn to Jesus and say, look, I'm thirsty, Jesus. And Jesus says, I give you my spirit to drink. And you drink deeply. And the spirit of God satisfies you as you suddenly realize that you were never supposed to be an individual. And you drink deeply of the one spirit. And this is something only God can do. You can't join a church. You can't make the decision, oh, I think I might join this church. No, the only way to join the body of Christ is for Jesus to baptize you in the one spirit, give you the one spirit to drink. And then you become part of his body. But when he does that, he does not stop you being you. Please understand that. He doesn't say, right, now let's set about making you someone else. No. He loves you as you. And that brings us to the whole picture of the body. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Jesus has taken all sorts of different people and he's baptized us in one spirit, given us one spirit to drink, to form one body. Here's my question. Have you been baptized with the spirit? By which I mean, have you drunk the Spirit? By which I mean, were you thirsty and asked Jesus to satisfy you? By which I mean, did you recognize that you were living in sin and asked Jesus to forgive you? By which I mean, are you saved? Are you born again? Are you a Christian? Do you not see these questions are the same? But because what we've done, because we live in an individualistic culture, is that we take all the individual ways of talking about what it means to be a Christian and we highlight those. Jesus lives in my heart. I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is my special friend. He's forgiven my sin. He's given me eternal life. Yeah, but what about the body? We just imbibe the culture around us that says it's about the individuals. No, actually what Jesus did was he died to bring you into his body. And so if you go, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't really want to be in church. Tough. Tough. Jesus has baptized you into his body. There's nothing you can do about it. Now, you can either choose to be rebellious or you can choose to submit and to delight in what God has done. So, there's one, part, one body, many parts. Now, we're going to speed up because that was the big idea. Oh, they're still there. Let's get rid of them. We're not supposed to be like that. We're not all supposed to look the same. Okay? Right, now what happens is Paul really pushes this body metaphor. And this is great. I mean, this is just great. And he, he attacks two wrong views now, Okay? So some people uh, might think they're useless. So here's the, first, here's the big thing. No one is useless. If what I've said so far is true, that Jesus takes people, baptizes them by his spirit, gives them his spirit to drink, breaks them into his body, no one's useless. So here's the foot with its inferiority complex. Poor old foot. Let's face it, you know, it's tough being a foot. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. In in some ways, it's a little bit sad that the Holy Spirit had to speak like this to us. 
but we're that slow to get it. But here is the Holy Spirit teaching us, saying, let me work this through for you. The ear, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. I don't know if the, hand, I don't know if the foot's jealous of the hand because they're slightly similar to one another. I've got five pointy things, but I can't do what the hand does. And the ear and the eye perhaps are located close to each other. Perhaps that's why there's jealousy. You tend to be jealous of the people who are nearest to you, don't you? I mean, not this afternoon. You tend to be jealous of the people nearest to who are most like you. I'm not jealous of Mo Farah, who I saw ran past me today. But I am jealous of people who can run 5K in under 20 minutes because they're closer to me. Still quite a long way away from me, but I can dream. And so here is this whole thing of the body, parts of the body feeling useless, parts of the body feeling like we don't belong. And let me tell you, isn't that true in church? If you have an individualistic church where everyone thinks you're supposed to be the same, and if we set up this, here's what it means to be the perfect Christian, and we all look at it and go, well, I don't belong then, because that's not me, I'm useless. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, I, I, don't, I, I don't belong here, I'm useless. I can't do anything. I'm not one of the people who are... I'm I'm useless. I'm not handy. Or i.e. I'm just... I'm useless. Paul wants to speak to you very strongly this afternoon. God wants to speak to you very strongly. And wants to say, how dare you say that? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If all we had was eyeballs, you know, the London Marathon would have looked very different. We'd have seen Mo Farah's eyeball rolling down the street with a load of other eyeballs chasing it. Right? But we wouldn't because it wouldn't have been able to move. They'd have all been on the starting line and the Queen would have pushed her little thing. She was in Windsor Castle. Right? She started... The ro- what? Anyway. So she's in Windsor Castle pressing the little thing and all the eyeballs would have just blinked not moved anywhere because they're useless on their own and that's the point how does it work how it's crazy and and paul i think is making the point it's funny that's what it's like when we when we want to be something we're not and verse 18 says that god places the parts of the body every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. A one-parted body would be an ab- abomination. A one-parted church would be horrific. And so let me say this as clearly as I can. No one is useless. No one. You are not useless. You have a part to play. And here, right now, God is saying to you, I have baptized you in the Spirit, given you the one Spirit to drink, so that you can play the part that I have for you. Now, I think the reason we struggle with this is because we idolize some gifts and not others. So we make some gifts the more important ones. We're going to see this again in in a minute. We make some gifts more important than others. So that we say, if you can't do this, well, 
Can I tell you something? And I, and I say this um, sadly. I remember once listening, and you don't even know where it was or what it was. But I remember once listening, listening in the thing, and they were talking about. It was a church leader who was talking about blokes worth watching in his church. Yeah, these are these are the blokes worth watching. And you just find yourself thinking, well, who are the ones who aren't worth watching? What on earth have we done? What have we done? That we think that there are some who have no real importance. I think Paul would be very angry about that. And so if you sit here this afternoon and feel like you don't belong, God says, yes, you do. God says, I love you. My son died for you. You've been baptized in the same spirit. You've been given the same spirit to drink. You belong. And you may say, yeah, but the one thing I can do, the only thing I can do, someone else does better than me. Will you get on and serve? Get on with doing what God made you to do. And do it to the best of your ability. Do it with all the gifts God's given you. Don't try and do it like someone else. Don't try and be like someone else. No one is useless. And here's the third thing. No one can do it all. No one is useless and no one can do it all. So verse 21 picks up. Now he seems to speak now. So if the first, that chunk we just looked at was about the people who feel inferior. Well, here's the group who feel superior. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, he flips it around. So now you've got the proud people who go, I can do everything. This is the curse of omnicompetence. In a, in a world of individualism, in a world where it's all about you, you have to be able to do everything, right? Because to be needy, to need someone else is bad. If someone said um, about you, uh, oh, they're, they're quite needy, you don't go, oh, what a lovely thing to say. Thanks, that's really lovely. Actually, to be needy in our culture is to be weak, to be pitiful and to be pathetic. A bit needy. Paul says to be needy is to be part of the body. And if you don't think that you need anyone, then you are not functioning like the body. To say I don't need you is so damaging and wrong to the body of Christ that we've got to be careful of that. In fact, Paul flips it around now. We've got to see this bit carefully. And this is the bit that I think is really exciting. So stick with this. Um, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now hear that. Paul says the weakest parts are the indispensable parts. That is, the parts that we don't value, the parts that we don't honour because we're too busy faffing around with these wonderful gifts over here. Oh, they're so gifted, they're so gifted. Actually, it's these people, the ones who perhaps we don't see as gifted, they are the indispensable ones. And they're to be treated with special honour. Why? Well, look. Because that's how we treat our bodies. 
The parts that are presentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. There are parts of our body that we treat differently to other parts. You say, do you think God treats everyone the same? No. God doesn't treat everyone the same. Just like you, you don't treat every part of your body the same. You know, you flap your hand around, but there's other bits you don't, right? Because we treat them differently. Because the different parts of the body require different treatment. That's what God has done. God treats his church, his body differently. Look at verse 24. Our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. God gives greater honour to the parts that lack honour. He doesn't treat everyone the same. Okay, let me tell you a story. Okay, well, let me take you to the temple. Right? Imagine the temple. Here's Jesus in the temple. Jesus is standing in the temple and he's watching people put their money into the uh, offering. And here comes the first guy, loaded, massive great bucket of money, tips it in and everyone's like, wow, that's amazing, that's amazing, that's amazing. What does Jesus say? Not a word. Here comes the second person, massive great bucket. They tip it in, loads of noise. People are amazed. Disciples are amazed. What does Jesus say? Nothing. Okay, now here she comes. Shuffling in. Pathetic, really pathetic. A little old lady. And she shuffles in. She gets out her two tiny little coins, drops them in the offering. And suddenly Jesus wakes up. And Jesus is like, wow, look at her. Do you not see? He doesn't treat the three the same. He doesn't say anything about the first two. When he sees the third one, he says, wow, look at her. Why? Because she's the one that the world won't honor. So Jesus honors her. That's how God acts in his body. He gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. God deliberately, intentionally gives greater honor to the weaker parts. So that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. Now, I want you to be encouraged by this. You may feel like that little old lady shuffling in with your two little peas that no one really gives a stuff about. And you chuck in your little thing and you think, everyone's so much more impressed with these gifts over here. And you chuck in your... Do you not see Jesus goes, Jesus says, there, that's honor. Greater honor to you. So what are the gifts that we most honor as a church? I think as a church, I don't think it is speaking in tongues for us. I think as a church, the the, the gift that we give greatest honor to is preaching. And therefore, we say, if you really want to be valuable, everyone should aspire to be a Bible teacher. Everyone should aspire to go into full-time ministry. Paul says the person that should get the least honor is the ones who get the most honor from the world, obviously. I think this is a real challenge to us. You know, I think we live in a... I, I really want to challenge us as a church that we do not so value some gifts over others. That we do not find ourselves looking at others going, well, I, you know, they're, they're so much more honoured than me. No. It cannot work like that. 
We are one body, equal concern, and if one part suffers, all the parts suffer. One part rejoices, every part rejoices. So please, Globe Church, let's be a church where we give greater honour to those who lack honour. And where we celebrate that. And where we recognise that. Now you are the body of Christ, verse 27. Let's finish this off. And each one of you is a part of it. And God is placed in the church. First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, oh, great. Paul seems to completely stuff up everything he said. Because now he says, well, of course, there's first of all apostles and then prophets and then teachers. No, he doesn't mean first in value of importance. He means first in value of, first in order of how the church in Corinth came about. How did the church in Corinth come about? First through an apostle, Paul, then prophets, then teachers, and then the gifts that followed. Okay? So he's not saying there's a difference in value, he's saying there's a difference in function. And so, within the church, there are all these different gifts. God has given different gifts to each person. So let's play a game. Let's answer the questions in verse 29, all right? If you're feeling sleepy, answer them out loud with me. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Right. You got them all right. Well done. I think if you'd all shouted yes, that would have been slightly confusing. No, no, you're not all the same. You're not all the same. You're not all supposed to be apostles. You're not all supposed to heal. You're not all supposed to speak in tongues. So the Christian who told me when I was a teenager that the mark of truly receiving the Spirit is to speak in tongues was lying to me. Because no, you're not all supposed to speak in tongues. Some are. We'll see that in a few weeks. Hold your horses. We'll get that. But not all. You're not all supposed to be the same. And our gifts will vary. Some of our gifts will be quiet in the background behind the scenes. Some of our gifts will be up front. Some of our gifts will be in helping people. We'll be in writing letters to people. We'll be in praying. We'll be helping to get the church organized. Man, we need that gift, right? There's so many gifts that God gives. They're all gifts of the Spirit and each one does their part. And I would love it as church. The reason we're doing our Wednesday night and Thursday night focus is that every single part of the church says, I know what my part is and I'm going to do it to the full extent of my ability. And that leaves us with just these. This is how I want us to respond. Four words. And we're going to take some time to respond now. I think as we understand this truth, first it means acceptance. Will you accept who God has made you to be? Will you stop wishing you were someone else? I think I often wish I was, I wish I had someone else's gifts. I wish I had someone else's life, right? Will you stop wishing you were someone else? And will you accept who God has made you? Accept the gifts he's given you. Will you delight in the gifts of others? Rather than jealousy, look at them going, I wish I was like them. We delight in them and say, God, thank you for giving them to our church. We really need one of those. And it's great they've got that gift because I don't need it because they've got it. So I can delight in the fact they've got it and I can celebrate that gift. Will you accept who God has made you? Will you delight in others? Will you then use the gifts God's given you humbly to serve others and to do them good? And will you eagerly desire the greater gifts? Which you'll have to wait and find out what those are. (laughs) 
but will there be an eagerness? Not jealously desiring gifts. I wish I had that because then everyone would look at me. Everyone No, eagerly desire it because then I could do good. Eagerness about getting to know Jesus more. Eagerness about serving Jesus more. Eagerness about using the gifts God's given you so that you can play the part in the body. We need to finish. Someone has uh, helpfully said, if you rearrange these words, the first letter of each one spells head. Brilliant, isn't it? That's exactly how I designed it, obviously. (laughs) But this will help you to remember these four words. Why not pray these four words this week? Humility, eagerness, acceptance, and delight. Humility, eagerness, acceptance, delight. Go into this week saying, help me to be a part of this body and to reflect on those four words. And why don't we thank God now that he's made us this body? And why don't we thank God for one another? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your great plan was always that you would bring humanity together as one. Thank you that's what you've done in the church. That within the church there's Jew and Gentile, slave and free. There's rich and poor. There's black and white and men and women. There's all of us. And we're so diverse and we love our diversity and we're sorry for all the times when we just want to be clones. Lord, we pray that we'd celebrate our diversity and use the gifts you've given for the glory of Jesus. Help us, we pray. Amen.